this is God's word, verses 1 down to 9. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation? And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin. And take us for your inheritance. Amen. And we thank God today for his word. I am aware that the rumours have been flooding around Balnehinch. They have been wondering how long will I put up with it? How much longer will I stay in? And I want to announce to you this morning that as of 6 o'clock this morning, I resigned from Her Majesty's government. I couldn't go any further. Everybody else is leaving and jumping ship, and so I have as well. I didn't want to be left out. And the final straw for me was when I heard our Prime Minister, Boris Johnston, actually favours Linfield rather than Glen Torn. And under such circumstances, I just could not continue. Now, it's not what everybody's doing at the minute, drawing a line in the sand, and, and I'm sorry that, that the Prime Minister's done this and he's done that, and so I can't continue. And, and suddenly the government majority has fallen through the floor, and we're in a situation where, where we just don't know which way to go. That seems to be the times and the days that we're living in. But, but today we come to a place, and I am thankful to say that the Lord has not drawn a line in the sand for us. He is, as we have been singing, a God of grace. Now you might be mixed up here when you come to Exodus 34 because humanly speaking you might think, well, do you know Scott, it was time for a line in the sand. It was time for the Lord to wipe his hands off these people. They were a stiff-necked, disobedient people. If you know the story of Exodus, you will know that in Exodus 32, the people make for themselves a golden calf. They make a false idol. They, they start to worship a false god. And you think, well, why did they do that? Were they involved in a, a, a dramatic situation that had left them high and dry for years on end? Not a bit of it. Moses had gone up the mountain to be with the Lord. He seemed to them to be delayed in returning. And so they said to Aaron, make us a golden calf, make us an idol, because Moses is gone and we, we don't know what's coming off him. We don't know if he'll be back. So just a delay, a little bit of time delayed. 
And the people turn away from the one true God who had given them his law, who had led them out of Egypt, who had taken them through the wilderness. They turn from the Lord. They worship the golden calf. They turn to idolatry. And surely enough is enough. Surely when, when this takes place, it's the line in the sand. It's time for resignations. It's time for the Lord to find a new people to walk away, turning his back on these evil, sinful Israelites. But no. We come to Exodus 34, and we see that the Lord has not drawn a line in the sand. We see that the Lord is a God of grace. We see that he comes once more and treats these stiff-necked, rebellious, sinful people in a way that they do not deserve to be treated. We preach this this morning and over the next few weeks to focus on that beautiful word, grace, and also as part of this teaching series, we we want you to get it into your heads that the God of the old is exactly the same as the God of the new. Sometimes when we read the Bible and sometimes we hear this taught that in the New Testament we've got Jesus and it's Christ and he's wonderful and he's completely different from the angry, wrathful God of the old. So the Bible, it's two parts, two halves, and, and we much prefer the new rather than the old. That's not true. It's half-baked heresy, and it's an ancient heresy. Perhaps you will have known of someone called Marcion. Marcion, back in the day, taught exactly that, that Jesus was like a, a higher God than the Old Testament God. The Old Testament God was angry and wrathful and vengeful, and then comes this higher God, Jesus, who is full of love and grace and mercy. Friends, if that is your opinion, then politely I tell you that you are wrong. If it is something that you've long held to, thus avoiding the Old Testament, then that is a shame. And I hope in the days to come you will get into the Old. All of Scripture is God-breathed from Genesis through to Revelation. And all of Scripture is the story of God and how he mends this relationship with sinful humanity. And if you've ever believed that the God of the Old is completely different and is all anger and wrath, then read Exodus 34. In light of a rebellious people, in light of a golden calf, in light of idolatry, the God of grace comes and shows his face. Grace has been defined in this way. Grace is God's unmerited favor to those who deserve his wrath. Grace is God's unmerited favor to those who deserve his wrath. And as we state that, we want to state two sides of grace. There's firstly what we call common grace. This morning you woke up and the sun was in the sky and that shone on your little face. You love the Lord. You call yourself a Christian. You've been declared righteous in the sight of God through faith in Christ. The sun shone on your wee face. And your next door neighbor, well, he doesn't love Christ. The only time he mentions Christ is when he curses his name he wants nothing to do with the Lord. He has rejected the gospel. He despises the things of God. And yet the sun shone in his face too. Friends, we call that God's common grace. God's grace to, to you and I and to everyone in Battle of the Hinch, regardless of whether we believe in him or not, God treats us with common grace. The sun shines on our face. The rain falls in my garden as it falls in yours. This is God's common grace. But as Christians, we, as all, we also have come to know God's saving grace. 
special grace, if you like. We've come to know the grace of God through faith in Christ. We've come to know how God loves us and redeems our lives from the pit. We've come to receive his word and, and the means of grace. This is God's special grace, his saving grace that not everybody in Balnehinch comes to realize. God's common grace, God's saving or special grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor to those who deserve his wrath. God in Genesis through to Malachi is full of grace. God through Matthew to Revelation is full of grace. And I would suggest to you that if you are off Marcion, if you are a Marcionite and you believe that, that the Old Testament is just so different that you can't accept it, then I would urge you to read again because if our God was not a God of grace, then we are absolutely undone. We've met the Israelites, a sinful, rebellious people. Moses is delayed, so they start to worship a false god. They make a golden calf. It couldn't get much worse. And yet in Exodus 34, God comes with grace. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. And we recall the story. We call that Moses comes down with the tablets, the two tablets of God's commandments, his moral law, an act of grace. God says, this reflects who I am. This is what I want you to know and understand. This is a guide to how I want you to live. And it should drive you on to Christ. God shows grace to these men and women. And as Moses comes down with the two tablets of stone, he is forced to smash them because they're having a party in front of this golden calf. And yet God doesn't cast that up. God doesn't tell these people that a line has been crossed. You're finished. There's no more. I'm wiping you out. I'm away to choose the Egyptians. I'm starting a new thing. Instead, God comes and speaks grace to Moses and says, go and get another set of tablets. You broke the last ones. You had to do that, but go and get another set. And in the morning, in verse 2, I want you to come to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. Again, another word of grace. Moses is the mediator for these people. He is the one who stands between a holy and righteous God and these sinful people, and God has not denied him access. God does not say to him, Moses, the last time they were having a party with a golden calf, no more. I'm not going to speak to you anymore. I'm not going to pass on any of my law to you anymore. It's done. He doesn't say that. He says, Moses, be ready in the morning. Come and see me at the top of the mountain. He speaks grace to Moses. And in verse 3, he shows his holiness. He says, no one shall come up the mountain with you. Let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. And again, words of grace. The Lord has already told Moses that no one can see me and live. And so in Moses and his preparation for going up the mountain once again with a new set of stones, God says, clear the mountain, Moses. Clear it of animals, clear it with people. Don't let anybody come with you because if they were to come, if they were to see God, they would surely die. And so this wrath-filled, angry, fire and brimstone God that sometimes we paint him as in the Old Testament shows a face of grace to Moses. He says, Moses, we're not yet finished. I could destroy this stiff-necked people, and indeed the Lord has made that clear to them. 
Today, if you have time, read Exodus 32 to Exodus 34. You will see that the Lord says, I could come and, and burn you up and destroy you. But instead, he says, Moses, let's do this again. Let's start over. Let's come and, and once again bring tablets of stone. Let, let's once again go back to where we were. A God of grace speaks and shows his hand. He shows his unmerited favor to Moses and to these people who deserve his wrath. And folks, in these verses, we see here that the Lord is not cajoled into this. The Lord has not told Moses, go and, and have four or five years of doing good things, doing your very best. Moses, go and destroy the golden calf and then you know, get the kids and, and everybody else in a big group and shout at them for 17 weeks and then come back and see me. He doesn't do that. God takes the initiative. God moves and, and works and says, Moses, this is what we're going to do. It is this that is reflected in the New Testament. Paul says in Ephesians 2 and verse 4, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Do you get that? The Old Testament God and the New Testament God, and we will stop speaking about them in that way because there is only one God of the Bible, but the message in Exodus 34 is the same as the message of Ephesians 2. When it comes to our salvation, God acts. He takes the initiative. Even when we are worshipping a golden calf, even when we are dancing around our many idols, even when we are a stiff-necked people, even when we were dead in our trespasses, it is the Lord who has made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. And my brothers and sisters, we pray that in this series you will be deeply encouraged by God's grace, his unmerited favor to you who deserves his wrath. This grace upon grace that he pours out upon you every single day. We hope that this will deeply encourage you because often I think we buy into the Marcion lie that says, God is always angry with me. He's waiting for me to slip up. And as soon as I do, bang, that's it. I'm finished. The line is crossed. I'm out of his cabinet. I have to go and join the liberal Democrats and nobody wants to do that. That's not what our God is like. John tells us in his first letter that we studied before Christmas, before Christmas, before the summer, we love God because he first loved us. The initiative has always been his. And today, if you are a Christian, today if you know Christ is your Savior, then know that at some point in eternity past, God took the initiative in your life. Isn't that significant? Isn't that amazing? That you and all your faults and failures and all your difficulties, times you're clinging on to Jesus just by your fingernails, at times you feel like the worst parent in the world, your, your children are disobedient and they don't want to come to church, and you feel like the worst husband or the worst wife or the worst civil servant or, or whatever it might be, you feel like an absolute fraud and a failure as a Christian. And yet when you trusted Christ, you loved God, not because you woke up thinking, oh, I'm special and I'm wonderful and I'm going to trust this God. You love God because he loved you first. He took the grace-filled initiative to redeem your life from the pit. We see that in Exodus 34. Moses and the people 
deserve the line in the sand. They deserve the judgment. They deserve the wrath. They deserve nothing else from the Lord who's already given them so much. And yet God says to Moses, come and see me in the morning. Come up the mountain. Bring you tablets. Come, come and see me. God acts filled with grace on behalf of his sinful people. And what does God do? Well, he comes and he renews his covenant with these people. By God's grace, John next week will be preaching on what the covenant of grace is and what a wonderful sermon that will be. I'm not sure if he's written it yet, but I'm confident it will be brilliant. But God renews that covenant of grace with these people. The Lord comes down in verse 5 in the cloud and he stands with Moses there and proclaims the name of the Lord. And the Lord passes before Moses and proclaims we've read this and we've prayed this and I pray that we'll meditate on it for the rest of the day. The Lord proclaims to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, a God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by, who, by no means will clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God comes and he speaks to Moses. And soon the covenant will be renewed. The relationship between this holy God and a sinful people will be restored. Soon this God of grace will once again treat these individuals in a way that they do not deserve to be treated. God comes and renews this covenant and God speaks boldly to Moses. And just like when Moses first got the tablets, he hears the voice of God. In Exodus 33, Moses is asked to see God. And here, Moses meets with the Lord, but he just tells us what the Lord said. Isn't that funny? Isn't that amazing? That Moses records what the Lord says. His word is enough. So God speaks up the mountain the first time and up the mountain the second time, it is by God's grace that we have his word in front of us. And God comes, and it is by his grace that he reveals to us, sinful humanity, what he is like. And friends, today we do not need to sit at home and come up with ideas about what God is like. If there's a God, I wonder if he is. And fill in the blank. We don't need to do that. Because God has spoken. By his grace, he has given us 66 books. By his grace, he has told us, this is who I am. And he proclaims his name. He proclaims his character. He replaces the smashed stones. Friends, the God of grace comes. And in the business of renewal and restoration, invites Moses, the mediator of God's people, near once more. And he tells Moses that I am merciful. I am a God who pours out mercy on people that don't deserve it. He tells Moses that he is a God of grace. He is gracious, gracious to sinners like us. He is a God who is slow to anger. He is long-suffering. He is patient. And isn't that an act of God's grace? How many times, mums and dads, have you counted up the ten? I get the ten, I'm going to wreck this place. Have you ever had to wreck the place? I've never wrecked a month. Except the garage is a bit unstable now and there's other wee bits and pieces, but sure, Billy, I'll fix it. Never worry. I get the 10, you're finished. 
I get the five, I'm getting up them stairs, and then in your head you're thinking, I hope I don't get the five, I can't be bothered going up them stairs. Friends, we know all about it. That's how we talk. Thanks be to God that he is long-suffering with us. Thanks be to God that he is slow to anger. And yes, he is a God of righteous and perfect anger and wrath, but he is slow to it. We sit here today in 2019, and still the Lord tarries. It is by God's grace that he tarries. He is slow to anger. His love, this grace-filled love for sinners like us who deserve his wrath is is steadfast and it is filled with faithfulness according to the Lord. It is not up and down like a fiddler's elbow. It's not left and right and, and weak one day and strong the next. It's none of those things. It is rock solid. It is faithful. And it is the Lord who is forgiving of our sins. He is forgiving, he tells us, of our iniquities. He is forgiving of our transgressions. In verse 7, he is forgiving of our sin. Iniquity is when we turn aside from what is right or good. Transgression is when we deliberately disobey God's law. And sin is any form of, of moral lapse that we can think of. God forgives us from top to bottom, from east to west, as far as the east is from the west, is as far as he removes our sins from us. And you tell me that that the God in the Old Testament is wrath-filled and full of vengeance and fire and brimstone and always angry? He is a God of grace. He always has been and he always will be. He forgives us when we draw near to him, and it is by his grace that we can draw near to him. It is by his grace that we can speak to him. It is by his grace that we know him. Here is our God. And this is what Moses hears. And imagine you had to go and see your boss in the morning. Imagine next week you were called about your child up to the headmaster. You're saying, oh, what, what's going to come? What's this about? Or imagine when you go home, the mother-in-law's waiting on you. And she's let herself in. You don't know how she's got a key, but mother-in-law's do things like that. She's waiting. The mother-in-law wants a word with you. What's she going to say? I wonder if Moses wondered, when I taken these tablets up this mountain for, I wonder what the Lord's going to do today. And Moses goes and Moses hears words of grace. Friends, it would be remiss of us to skip over something that is also true about the Lord. The Lord tells us that he is full of grace. He does forgive sin. He does clear the guilty, but he will by no means clear the guilty at the end of verse 7. Those who do not turn to him in repentance and faith. And you see, today, in a way, this message is a message of God's grace. Sometimes, maybe when I I share with you and challenge you about where you stand with Christ, maybe you think, oh, here he goes again. Here he goes again. Why does he, why does he tell us we need to be saved? Why does he tell us we need to be right with God? Friends, I tell you because it's my job. I tell you because it is by God's grace that we have this word in front of us and his word says that that all who trust in Christ 
will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I rejoice in that. I am a recipient of God's special saving grace. But what if you're not? Well, it is by God's grace today that if you are not yet saved, you can hear his own voice saying, he will by no means clear you. If you continue to stand against him and and rebel against him, if you pay no regard of your iniquities, transgressions, and sins, if you reject the one true mediator, Christ Jesus our Lord, and, and want him nowhere near you, if you live a life where you think, The preachers have got it all wrong, and I don't need God, and I don't need His grace. My friends, waking up, it is by God's grace that you sit in this place, and it is by God's grace that I try my very best every single week to make you clear of this. But you know what? Every single one of you might be a fully card-carrying member of Christ Church. You love the Lord, and if that is the case, then praise God. And if there is only one in here who has turned against Christ, well, I preach with fire in my belly to that one. I say to you, today is the day to realize that our God is a God of grace, but also wrath to those who reject His mercy. So today is the day to praise Him for coming onto the sound of His word. To praise him for hearing in Second Peter 3 that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. My friends, today flee from your sin and flee from hell. And thank God for a message of grace which points you not to yourself, but to Christ crucified and raised for your sake. Our God is a God of grace. From start to finish, to Christians and to those who have not yet come to Jesus. And what do we do about such a God? What do we do about such a message? Well, Moses shows us. Moses responds in the only possible way that he can to the grace of God. Verse 8 tells us that Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. See, if we truly understand God's grace, it does not produce in us arrogance. It does not get us to a place where as Christians we think, ah, you know, God's grace is amazing, and I do what I want. I live how I want. I go where I want. That's a wrong response to the grace of God. Certainly there is freedom and liberty in Christ. But here Moses doesn't dance down the mountain after hearing these words of grace. Moses doesn't skip away off as if he's heard some grand old story that he can listen to or not, as the case may be. Moses meets with the Lord on the mountaintop. He hears the words of grace that the Lord brings, and he bows down and worships. God's amazing grace never produces arrogance, but as the Spirit works in us, it produces thankfulness. It creates in us a a heart of worship. It, It causes us to know that God's grace is wonderful, that we deserve his wrath, and 
instead of have received his mercy and his grace through Christ Jesus our Lord. And when we grasp that and understand that, then the only place we possibly can be is bowed down towards the earth in worship and adoration and in praise. And Moses comes and repeats back to the Lord what he has heard in prayer. He says in verse 9, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, Please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people. Moses has heard these words of grace. And Moses now pleads with this holy God to to draw near once again. He prays that the Lord will forgive these people their iniquity and their sin. And he prays outrageously that the Lord would take these people as, as his own inheritance. Moses, knowing that they were down a mountain not so long ago, worshipping a golden calf, now says, Lord, forgive us, we pray. I've heard your words of grace. I've seen your glory. I've discovered once more what you are and who you are. Now, Lord, come and dwell in our midst. Come and move among us. Come and forgive us. Come and take us as your inheritance. And friends, it is, as I said at the start of the service in Psalm 149, Lord takes pleasure in his people with all the stiffness of neck with all the rebellion with all the sin and the iniquity with all the times we forget the grace of God with all the times that we want to be nowhere near him in the midst or or even on the fringes we want our way today right now Instead, today, we pray with Moses, Lord, come and dwell in this place again. Forgive us our stiff necks and our iniquities and our sins. Take pleasure in us, Lord. And how do you think the Lord responds to such a prayer? Friends, of course, he responds with grace. What a liberating, wonderful truth the grace of God is. That you and I, who deserve nothing, have received everything in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I prepared this week, I came across a little sentence by a commentator called Philip Reagan. And he makes the point that Moses climbs the mountain to meet with the Lord a second time. Moses goes up the mountain to meet with the Lord with a brand new two tablets of stone. And what does verse 5 tell us? The Lord descended in the cloud. Reichen makes the point that no matter how high we reach, God still has to stoop to our level. Friends, it is by God's grace that the omnipotent holy God of this universe has today stooped to meet us who later stoops and sets a table for us and who 2,000 years ago sent a greater Moses, the one true mediator, Jesus Christ, to stand in place of us. Are you thankful today? I hope so. Because our God is a God of grace. Amen. And we thank God for his word.